Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for listening in. It's The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Today we've got a great show, but first, I am pleased to present our two new partners for our weekly show. They are Lori Zorn, who is the insurance manager for Island Savings, and Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group. Uh, we've had Lori and Denise on air before. Uh, as they are our show partners here for the next 12 months, you'll be hearing more from both of them. They will be our exclusive experts in the area of home insurance and mortgage financing. And it goes without saying, if you need help from experts in insurance and mortgages, they are the people that you should really talk with. Uh, today, I'm happy to have with us Denise Webster, who will be talking about mortgages. Uh, we'll be talking about the process of getting a mortgage either for your first home or a refinance or even for investment. Uh, and also on our show is Nima Rohani, who's a lawyer with McConnon Bian O'Connor Peterson. I said that right, right, Nima? McConnon Bian O'Connor and Peterson. It okay. was pretty close. Good job. It's, oh, thank you. Uh, Nima practices real estate and construction law, and today he'll be talking about the role of your lawyer in your real estate transaction. So, uh, as always, we always like to start off our show uh, with uh, correspondence from listeners. And this week I received an email from a listener uh, named Philip who said, I think it's time to sell my townhouse in, actually I won't mention where it is. <laughs> so he wants to sell his townhouse. Uh, it's rented and the tenants have been rough on it. I'm not sure if I should spend money upgrading the counters, replacing floors, and repainting the house. Since it seems to be a strong market, uh, it will... Uh, it will sell anyway. Uh, okay, so Philip is asking for advice on uh, what he should do to prepare the the townhouse for sale, and uh, he's correct in many ways. Right now, uh, we have very low inventory. So the month of March finished up with uh, it was about fifteen hundred listings in the marketplace. That's down forty percent from last year. So there is no inventory out there. In virtually all the areas in town right now, there are people that want to buy, but there's nothing to look at. You know, if you can imagine, it's kind of like going to a store like Canadian Tire and wanting to buy something, but the shelves are empty. It's a very strange time out there in, in the marketplace. We are seeing a lot of weaker homes being sold right now. By weaker, I mean houses that have uh, roof issues or um, even the basic ones like needing repaint or, or smelly carpets. Uh, things like that. And this is exactly what Philip is talking about because usually in a, in a standard market, what sellers are wondering is, if I spent the money to upgrade certain things, can I get more money on the sale? So in other words, does it make sense to invest, say, $5,000 now? Will it pay off and earn me ten or fifteen or twenty thousand dollars when I sell. And the bottom line right now, and you know, acknowledging this could change even in a matter of weeks here, uh, depending on where he is or where you are, if you're thinking about doing this, it makes sense uh, not actually, it makes sense not to spend the extra money because you will end up getting a strong price. Most areas now are looking at multiple offers and bidding wars anyway. And sell and buyers, I'm sorry, buyers typically are willing to accept properties the way they are. So to answer your question, Philip, will it make you more money by spending the money? In today's market, the answer is 
Probably not. Now, bear in mind, I would need to have a look at your house. So I don't know. You know, you, you talk about the fact that uh, the tenants have been rough on it. I don't know what's rough. I mean, there are some uh, places that have been roughly handled. There are some that are terrible. I just saw one. Coincidentally, I just saw one the other day. And I don't think the house has seen a vacuum in about 15 years. So uh, there's, there's, a, there's a wide range of condition. Uh, bottom line right now is, yeah, I, I think you're okay today, but just bear in mind that, like I said, this can change anytime. Uh, just as a reminder for listeners here, if you have a real estate question that you'd like answered on our show or, or you'd like me to cover it, please visit cfax1070.com. That's the CFAX website. Uh, or call our hotline, which is 250-414-6540. If you're in the car right now and didn't have a chance to write that down, don't worry. It's on the website. Again, it's cfax1070.com. Uh, so, Nima. Um, you know, real estate is such an, everyone's talking about it nowadays, right? Um, what's, what have you seen recently that has been interesting? Like from a personal standpoint, you must have friends or relatives or family that are either looking at buying or selling real estate. There's always a neat story to be told. Well, there's the, thanks, Tony. Uh, thanks for having me on first and foremost. You're right. There's a lot of interesting things going on right now. Definitely seeing a, a lot of unconditional offers. And, you know, that's oh, actually, interesting. Hold on a sec. So it's a great start here. As a lawyer, does that scare you? Uh, it does and it doesn't. Um, you know, I, I'd like to make sure that the client has the money to f- uh, finalize the, the deal. And, you know, it, it can be scary a little bit when they it's an unconditional offer, but they're still going to try and, and receive a mortgage. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they go through the process thing. Well, we're not going to get this deal unless we put an unconditional offer in. Um, but we still need mortgage financing yeah, because these are, because although they're going in clean, it's not like they have cash. Exactly, they still exactly. need to get a mortgage. Exactly. So you know, sometimes you hear of horror stories where they have an unconditional offer and the deal falls through because they can't get financing, and then they lose their deposit, and uh, there's battles over who should get the deposit. Yeah. And I always try to advise my clients: it's not worth it to go into a deal when you need financing, even though you're desperate for a piece of property. Just hang on, wait for the financing, make it conditional. Chances are something will come up event- eventually. Yeah. So that, that, yeah, that's that's a, that's a big one that I've been seeing a lot of recently. Um, luckily, I've I've been able to advise my clients to be careful with that, and I haven't had any issues uh, myself. So that's good. Um, other other than that, you know that that's the big issue that I'm seeing right now. Um, you know, but there's also, there's always things popping up here and there. You know, there's, I think there's a big issue right now with uh, underground oil tanks mm-hmm. and, you know, whether or not those are being disclosed and the disclosure statements that are attached to the contracts of purchase and sale. And, and you know, there's, there's lawsuits all the time over that. And uh, I always make sure that when the house is a bit older, that I look at the disclosure statement clearly and I always advise my client, are you sure that there is no oil tank on this property? Um, and sometimes they say they don't know. Uh, they didn't even think about that. So then I go back, I look yeah. at the material, and of course, sometimes there is, and I advise my client, well, you know how much it's going to cost to remove this. It's going to be a lot, and it's going to cost a lot to remediate the property even after it's removed, especially if there's a leak. 
So it's it's best to avoid those properties. But hey, I mean, everyone has their own their own uh, opinion on that. So, so yeah, actually, we we had uh, Corey from Victoria Tank Service uh, on the show a couple of weeks back, and and we were talking about all the perils nowadays of of people buying and and not doing their their due diligence. Uh, I I want to touch on what you talked about, which is the disclosure statement. And for many listeners who maybe don't know what that is, that's a form that sellers fill out when they're listing the house for sale. It's basically a questionnaire that asks them to the best of their knowledge if there's any issues with the house. So there's questions about if there's any asbestos present, uh, any uh, roof leakage, any um, infestation by insects or rodents. Uh, and of course, the one that you brought up was, uh, are they aware of any past or present underground oil storage tanks? I think that's the specific wording, in fact. Yes, that is correct. So, so it brings up the question, when sellers are filling out these forms, it's always to the best of their knowledge because, you see, we've bumped into people over the years that, that have sincerely not known. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, if someone buys a piece of property five years ago, they're, they're probably not going to know that that oil tank was there, put there at, you know, 50 years ago or so. So they're just going to go ahead, live in the property, sell it, and they're going to have no idea to the best of their knowledge. Yeah. Well, you know, it comes around to the real estate professionals as well. There's a lot of responsibility on us, people like me who've been doing this for 26 years, because there are there are means for us to investigate and find out. You know, we check with the municipality, see if there's any records. Some municipalities have bad record keeping, so it's not always necessarily there. But then we get people like Victoria Tank Service to come in and they scan the property and uh, find out. But uh, again, from your standpoint, of course, you know, your your role is to protect the consumer. Your, Absolutely. your client, right? Absolutely. So you're going to want to make sure that they don't make a, a bad choice. I'm here uh, right now speaking with Nima Rahani, who is a lawyer with McConnell. Uh, be, what? How did I say it wrong last time? <laughs> McConnell, Beyond, O'Connor, and Peterson. Okay, got it. Uh, Established and, in 1975. Perfect. And also uh, Denise Webster, who will be joining us as our new partner on our weekly show, The Mortgage Specialist. We're going to take a, a quick little break here. And just a reminder, uh, if you have any questions about real estate, visit our website, cfax1070.com. Uh, and you can also give me a call on our hotline, which is 250-414-6540. We'll be back in just a couple of moments. Thanks for joining us. This is The Whole Home Show with me, Tony Joe, talking about all things real estate. I've been a real estate agent here in Victoria for a number of years now. It's coming. Actually, I just passed 26 years. It feels like it was just yesterday. Uh, of course, one of the first people that I connected with when I was a brand new realtor was a lawyer. Uh, I was told by a mentor that it was a good idea to have a lawyer on speed dial for any questions that I had. You know, of course, in real estate, the managing broker is someone who's very important because all realtors have the uh, security blanket, if you will, of having a mentor or a senior agent look over all of their transactions. But again, a lawyer is someone who, uh, to me, is the person that keeps us out of court uh, and makes sure that we do everything according to the law. So today on our show, we have with us Nima Rohani. Nima is a lawyer with McConnell, Beyond, Connor, and Peterson. Uh, Nima, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Nima, you, like me, you're a locally born and raised Victorian. Yes, I am. Born and raised in Victoria, as you said. Went to elementary school, high school, and university, all within five minutes of where I grew up. <laughs> I love Victoria. Is it Victoria. still the family house? No. Um, yeah, my, my grandparents still live in the same house they've oh. lived in since they've immigrated to Canada. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, I love Victoria. I love the community. 
I love giving back, and anything I can do to help Victoria citizens is uh, in my wheelhouse. Well, and I asked you before in the elevator coming up here, what, you know, because you you went to school in Australia. That's right? that's correct. So, so I did my undergrad at UVic, and then I ventured off to Australia to get some more ex- life experience, and I, I that was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my entire life. Yeah, but yeah. you came back here. And I came, you, you could go anywhere, right? I, that's true. I, I well, in most Canada, countries, I, yeah, or most provinces, I could go in and, and work anywhere. But I chose Victoria because I love my family and I love my friends and I, like I said before, I love the community and I, I want to give back and I want to help build this city. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, you and I share the same story because <laughs> I've never left, and and uh, that's that's how I feel about our little town too. But let's talk about uh, being a lawyer as it regard as it relates to real estate, the real estate t- transaction. Because one of the questions that people ask uh, me as a realtor all the time is, why do I need a lawyer when I'm just buying or selling a house? So what is it that you as the lawyer does in a transaction? Well, a lawyer, essentially a lawyer's job is to protect who they're acting for. So if I'm acting for the purchaser, I'm going to make sure that the seller discharges all of the charges on the property, things such as their mortgages, if there's any builder's liens, if there's any uh, other charges that might affect my client purchasing the property. So you want to make sure the seller pays them all off so that your buyer doesn't inherit any of those things. Correct. Correct. My, 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 the buyer, if I'm acting for the buyer, they will be receiving the title free and clear. So I'm going to make sure that that's the case mm-hmm. and I, I will not go through with the transaction if the seller's lawyer is unable to do that. And generally the seller's lawyer is able to do it. I haven't had any problems in my young career. Uh, fingers crossed and knock on wood, but yeah. that that's the way it goes. Well, well actually, I, I know where you're getting at, though, because you see when the market is softer and if prices go down, I know this because I've been through this a few times, there are times, and actually listeners right now may not be able to conceive of this, but there are times when uh, property owners, they owe more then they're selling the house Correct. for. So if the market softens, if their mortgage is big enough, they got lines of credit, they got debts, they got other stuff going on, uh, sometimes they have to bring money to the table. Absolutely, and it could be difficult to uh, finalize the deal if that's the case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, in the transaction, you make sure that all the um, the the financials are taken care of. Yeah, that that's so that's one thing that I do. So for example, if I'm acting for the purchaser, what I'll do is is generally most people most you know they have a mortgage, and so uh, I will get the purchaser to instruct me to take the mortgage funds funds from whoever the lender is. I will put that into my trust account. If there's any other money that's needed to close the transaction, I'll ask the buyer to provide me with that money into my trust account. It's now protected in my trust account and I let the seller know that I have the money there and once the seller knows that the money is there, I transfer it to them. The seller's lawyer then transfers title to my client, then they exchange keys and that's basically it. So it, you know, it's, it's a protection thing. You don't wanna be doing a, a handshake deal in a back alley with an envelope full of cash trying to exchange keys. That's not, uh, that's not how it goes. That's not how it goes. Maybe no. it was back in the well, day, I'm, but I'm not hoping anymore. listeners are writing down the, uh, writing that down. Actually, as a reminder to listeners, you can and find our podcasts online either through iTunes or Google Play if you want to uh, listen back to the uh, the process that Nima uh, went through. But it is it's very important. There's a process that that is involved there, right? Yeah, it, it, and it's really straightforward. I mean, a lot of people think it's complicated. Uh, it's actually pretty simple when you boil it down. 
to the bare bones. Uh, but at the end of the day, as I mentioned earlier, it's all about protecting the client. Yeah. You don't want to advance the money unless you know that the other side is capable of transferring title mm-hmm. and vice versa. I'm not going to transfer title to the purchaser if I know that they're not going to be able to pay. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a lot of uh, promises that lawyers make between each other and um, you know, we go to we go to law school, and we, we're trained to understand that these promises are very important, and we will not make a promise unless we know that we can keep it. Yeah, yeah, very good. We're here with Nima Rohani, who is a lawyer with McConnell Beyond O'Connor and Peterson. Uh, this is a really good point because you know, for me, in in my years, I. I have to say, I think our system is very robust, particularly our land title system, which Absolutely. is talked about all the time. No, the land the land title office is great. Everything is done electronically. It's smooth. It's seamless. They're on the ball. They they catch any defects. If there's ever any problems, uh, they're they're really on it, and and it's a really good system. And I think more more places need need to do that and follow yeah, suit. Yeah, and, and, and maybe we'll have a conversation uh, on our show at a later date with uh, with the land titles office or something, but uh, it's important for listeners to know that the province of BC has probably, it's the Torn system, right? Yes, so, correct. So it's one of the best land title systems in the world. I, I, I fully agree. I, I can't imagine it being much better than the way it is now. No, and, and it's something I, th- I think that people coming into the province here sometimes don't appreciate. No, absolutely. Be, be, yes, you know, especially when you, when you look at um, uh, people who are coming from other countries that, you know, it is, it is that bag of cash. Well, and well the, it's funny when they come from other countries, you will actually have a physical deed to yeah. the property. And, you know, if you lose that deed, it's yeah, a nightmare like, yeah. proving ownership of the property. Whereas here, you know, everything is electronic. Uh, you don't necessarily have a physical copy of the deed anymore. It, you know, it's a, it's much, much better. Yeah, it is. Uh, Nima, quick question here. Uh, another thing that people commonly ask us is, why do we need a lawyer? How about a notary? Because there's that perception that the notary is, is maybe, I don't know, maybe less. Well, I, you know, as I touched on uh, briefly earlier, uh, I go to four years of undergraduate school and then three years of law school and then a year of training. So, you know, it can be anywhere from eight to nine years of training to become a lawyer. Um, and, and that in and of itself should give a good indication of the type of level of education that lawyers have. And, and you know, that's not taking away from notaries. I know several notaries who are very well educated on the subject, but they just don't have to go through the level of training that a lawyer does. Mm -hmm. So lawyers are trained to look at things a certain way and we're able to pick up on problems a lot easier than a normal person would be able to do. now, having said that, you know, notaries are capable as well. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and badmouth notaries. They're, they're yeah. great. Um, it, it, it's, it seems for a, for a normal standard transaction, something that, you know, just your basic sale between two parties, nothing complicated. Um, the, notaries, the notary can undergo that task. But it seems like when there is a problem or something occurs, that's where... Well, yeah, that's a good point because you said, you know, on a simple transaction, a notary might be able to do it, but you really don't know if the transaction is going to be simple or not. (laughs) There's always problems that that You don't know if it's a problem transaction until it's a problem. Exactly. So so that's the issue, right, is is you think, okay, $500,000 home in Saanich, uh, no problems, pretty straightforward, why would you think there would be any problems? Oh, guess what? There's a separation agreement that's not registered on on title. How do you deal with that? How do you pay out the people? How do you locate that? You know, that's just one example of, of things that might come up. Yeah. 
you know, if, if, if it's a matrimonial home, for example, that's just one issue. You know, the notary might not be aware of that and they might not ask the right questions. Yeah. So, you know, a lawyer is trained to do that. They're trained to pick up on any issues that may happen. And I always ask my clients these types of questions when they when I make first contact with them. Yeah. You, you had touched uh, uh, just before we got on air really briefly about a case that occurred recently, too. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know, not meaning not meaning to slag notaries in any way, because there's some great notaries in town here. But there was a case in Vancouver where something was missed and the notary, right. he's he, there's a six hundred thousand dollar fine. That's uh, correct. So so what happened there is there was a property in Vancouver, I believe it was approximately six point six or six point seven million dollars. Um, and it was being foreclosed on and the creditor had conduct of sale of the property through a court order. So they found a buyer and the buyer um, had a, an agreement with the notary to do the transaction. So the notary went ahead and went to go do the transaction and they wanted to make sure that the seller had um, the, the seller had uh, resident status in Canada. But of course, the seller wasn't the one selling the property, it was the creditor. So when uh, the notary went to go ask, yes. this creditor said, we don't know and we don't feel comfortable providing you with that information. So the notary, you know, in, in, in the decision that I read, he, he put forth a good effort, but apparently it was just not good enough. He wasn't able to certify that the sellers were residents of Canada. And sure enough, it came back that they were not and the buyers were forced to pay 25% of the purchase price uh, as tax. So That's what happened is, is is the, the, the purchasers will s- said, hey, we had no idea about this. Why didn't you tell us it? You're on the hook. What, you know, we're going to sue you now. Mm-hmm. And the notary defended himself, and he did an admirable job defending himself. I, I thought he did a good job. And sure enough, you know, it wasn't good enough, and the judge awarded... Um, the the plaintiffs or the buyers in that situation um they said that the notary was liable for for that and they i don't believe they've established uh, how much the notary will have to pay but um you know this is anyways these are stories that you know my goodness there are crazy things that can happen but listen we got to take a quick break here we're gonna come back with nima rohani uh from mcconnor beyond uh o'connor patterson peterson peterson (laughs) my goodness back in just a moment Thanks for joining us. I'm Tony Joe, and this is the Whole Home Show. Uh, if you have a real estate question you'd like answered in our show, please visit the website cfax1070.com or call our hotline, which is 250-414-6540. Just before the break, I was having a great conversation with Nemo Rohani, who's a lawyer with McConnon Beyond O'Connor Peterson. Got it right this time? Yes, you did. Yes. And um, we're going to actually continue a conversation with Nima a little bit later as well. Uh, right now, uh, we have with us, uh, I introduced a little bit earlier, our one of our two partners on our show, who's Denise Webster. She's a mortgage broker with Dominion Lenders. Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group. Of course, uh, many of you who have been following this show for weeks have heard Denise a couple of times. She is our exclusive expert in the area of mortgage financing. Thanks for coming back. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. Yeah. Um, You know, something that we haven't really talked about yet, and I thought we covered today is, you know, because we've had you on talking about property values. We've talked about... uh, A few mortgage rules, the stress test. Yeah. Okay. You remember. Mm -hmm. Um, For our listeners, what is a mortgage broker? You know, sometimes we, we say, 
you should talk to a mortgage person and a, a buyer will say, we've heard about mortgage brokers. What are they? And what is it all about? So tell us. Well, I think the biggest misconception out there about a mortgage broker is that people associate us with a fee, that there might be a cost to them to use a mortgage broker. And it is absolutely a myth. Oh, there, okay. there is no fee to the buyer to use a mortgage broker. Yeah. If we fund the mortgage, the lender does pay us a commission on that mortgage. Yeah. So, uh, and then there's the other question as well, is that fee or that commission worked into our rate? Absolutely not. A broker does have access to the very best rates and we d deal with uh, banks, yeah. credit unions, and what we call mono lines or trust companies. And these are just mortgage entities. Uh, they are not a bank. You don't have a, a walk-in uh, branch to go to. They solely deal with mortgages. They're not going to offer you the line of credit or the credit card. Um, and their investors are usually quite often backed up by the big banks. Oh. So uh, mono lines, credit unions, and trust and and our big banks. Okay, so so I mean, people typically have their bank, like they've got mm -hmm. their their chosen bank. They do all their banking, their ATM stuff, their online banking, and all that kind of stuff. And I mean. Often that is their first choice of, hey, I want to buy a house, so let's talk to somebody at the branch there. Now, what you're saying, though, is you have access to much more, not only just that one particular bank. In fact, sometimes you have access even, too, to a client's bank. Yes. Right? Um, uh, for example, the, the two big branches that I work with are Scotia and TD, okay. um, and then all our credit unions. Uh, but, yeah, I, th I think... When a client comes to me and they want to uh, solely work with their bank, if I don't have that availability, I just want to let them know that I actually have more choice and that it doesn't necessarily benefit them to put all their eggs in one basket, so to speak. Yeah. Um, quite often, I think um, if there were any blemishes in their um, banking history or whatnot, that could actually hurt their mortgage application. The bank already knows that, oh. whereas another lender may not. Okay. Um, oh, maybe, so now it's not like you're hiding anything. Nope. It's just it's in the process. It just might be something that was in their history that I wouldn't have actually known anyways, but the bank may know. Okay. Um, or maybe they're maybe they're debt serviced a little bit too high with their branch whatnot but I, I guess the point I really want to stress is that I don't think there's necessarily a benefit to ever putting all your eggs in one basket and it, it really is going to choose the best product yeah. the best rate that suits for the application so having that choice of the bank the monoline or the credit uh, union is is a is a big difference than looking at one lender's product and options yeah yeah so so basically you help people shop. Because, because it seems like people are always shopping for rate. Yes. It seems like like they go online and they go, well, this one here can give me whatever, uh, 2.99, and this one could do... Is that the right way to shop? No, I, I would definitely say no. Because when you really dive into the application, a lot of it's going to come down to the product. Because you kind of need to know a little bit about your your borrower and, and what their plan is, whether they are really looking for a fixed rate or a variable rate. Is this short-term lending? Is this a, a property they see themselves in for a long time? Do they want a longer term? Um, are they interested in paying their mortgage aggressively? Do they want to have ability to increase their payments, to make lump sum payments to their because mortgage. Because not every lender allows that, right? No, and there might be restrictions on that. Some some lenders may say you can do a lump sum payment only on the anniversary date. Well, that doesn't necessarily work for everybody. You want to be able to do it on any payment date. Or a date. maximum of any uh, some it's, certain amount. Exactly. Right? So if you dive into it a little bit more, you'll find out there's actually things that are more important to your borrower than the rate. We'll definitely go after the very best rate, but you better be lining it up with the right product for that borrower. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, we've had clients that had gone ahead and, you know, there was a time when banks were, 
attracting mortgages by giving cash back. And when it comes, when it came time to resell, they had to pay back the money, you know? So it's not, this is not money that comes uh, out of thin air, right? No. It it all comes from somewhere. And I think it would have been very important. This one particular family I'm thinking of right now, had they been advised, I think maybe they wouldn't have gone that route. Yeah, that cash back was quite a... um, uh dangled carrot. I think I think it worked for some people if they definitely knew the long-term plan and they knew they weren't going to break that mortgage in that five-year term. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that they've taken taken that product away yeah. uh, because uh, probably with your uh, instance with your family, they broke that term and yeah. that um, percentage of that cash back came back with a penalty as well. So it would have been a hefty amount of their equity that they lost when, yeah. when selling. It was, it was $20,000. Yeah. Yeah, big yeah. penalty, right? There is some fine print in those mortgages. You better be able to have your broker point those out to you. I, I mean, so is that what you do? Absolutely. Okay. So we have products that are available, uh, low rate, no frills mortgages. I'll show you the fine print on that. You may see a three percent penalty if you pay that out early. Your borrower needs to know this. Wow. Of course, I'm here with Denise Webster, who is a partner on our show, and she is a mortgage broker with. Uh, Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group. Yeah, it's all in the fine print. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the, I, I'm, I'm guessing one of the things that you have to do is basically keep up to date with all the products that all of the lenders are, are, are offering. Like. Yeah, and their niches too. Like they're, you know, they might have different um, areas where they have a better rental offset or, uh, you know, to help debt service the application. Okay. So in, in, in layman speak, so speak into the, okay. speak into our seven-year-old listeners <laughs> on the show. Uh, um, so that would be if. Uh, you so, have a not, uh, rental property as well and you're purchasing another property, how are we going to use that income on that rental property so somebody, to help your application? So they're looking at a house, say it's got a suite that brings in $1,300 a month. Mm-hmm. So the assumption is, oh, we can just add that 1300 and we'd qualify for that much more. That's not true, right? That's not true. Okay. No. And, and rental income is best, definitely being looked at more of a risk assessment because they don't ever want the borrower to heavily rely on that rental income. So those those rules have tightened up a lot, but they are vastly different throughout all our lenders. So um, that's when you need somebody to shop your mortgage and make sure you're fitting it into the right product to get that debt servicing in line and to get the best rate and product. Let's talk about... Um uh, credit history and doing a credit check. Cause so important. Because this, this is something else. You know, we've heard nightmares of people that have gone to five or six different banks and the banks all pull a credit uh, a check on them. And this is not a good thing, right? It's uh, not necessarily a bad thing. And this is a pretty new uh, release uh, recently of, of saying that the um, our Equifax and our TransUnion, our credit bureaus, do recognize that people are going to shop for their mortgage and they're going to shop for their car. So if you are doing multiple polls in a, in a, small time frame, Pulling they realize you're not actually credit seeking, you're actually shopping. Okay. But you don't want to be spreading that out over months and have multiple polls over months in your bureau. Your score will definitely be affected by that. Yeah. But I think one thing that's really keen for our borrowers to know is that a broker does pull the bureau once and then we can send that application to multiple lenders with only the one poll. Yeah. So, we, uh, you know, and with any lender or any bank, our, our your credit bureau will become stale dated after a time. So if I do a pre approval and you don't buy for another six months, I will pull the bureau again. We have to bring it up to date, but that's not going to affect your score. Now, you just mentioned the big word, which is pre-approval. Yes. Because Nima earlier today was talking about people uh, writing unconditional offers when they don't actually have cash, they still need mortgage financing, right? Thanks. 
So, so tell us the difference between, and I know the answer because it's asked to me all the time, but what is the difference between a pre-approval and a pre-qualification? The best way I can describe it and how I do break it down to my borrowers is that it is my due diligence to do a full pre-approval, which means I have reviewed your credit bureau, I have reviewed your income, whether that be a job letter, a pay stub, or your actual tax returns, and I've verified that I can qualify you for a certain purchase price based on your down payment as well. That is my due diligence to get your application in our guidelines for an approval with a lender. I can give that as a strong pre-approval. If I actually sent that to a lender, some lenders won't even underwrite. They will hold the rate and we can and have a rate hold available, but they won't look at the documents. So a pre-approval states that you have had a full review of your application. You know where your purchase price is. But the one thing I have to stress over and over again to my clients is a pre-approval is based on you, the borrower, yeah. not the house you're purchasing. So you still need that appraisal. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the lenders are going to want to know what they're securing their funds against. That house or that condo or that townhouse is very, very important to them. They have to know that there's a, a marketable home. Should the borrower default, they want to know how soon they could get rid of and, and sell that house yeah, again, and, right? And this is something that, that you talked about on our very first show way back when. Mm -hmm. And that was the, um, if somebody in a, in a heated marketplace like this right now where there's multiple offers, how does the bank know? that the buyer didn't overpay for the property. And, and of course, the appraisal is, is what, they, what they rely on. Yeah, right? the appraisal is key. And we had Amanda Mills here uh, yeah. and, and is stating, you know, what is the appraisal? The appraisal is going to verify that there are comparable properties uh, recently sold in the last three to six months of a very similar style home uh, or condo. Uh, and what, what were those purchase prices? prices? What were the sale prices? And if they can't ha find three comparables in that market value uh, of a very, very similar home, yeah. then they will actually, they can come in undervalued. And in that instance, if that appraisal, the market value of that um, property is lower, the bu the buyer is actually going to make up the difference in that purchase price yeah, from because, the market price. Because, yeah, the bank is going to say, well, we're not well, going to give you the amount that you're hoping for. We're only going to give you the appraised value, so you got to come up with a difference, right? Yep. So $500,000 purchase price, market value comes in at four eighty. That borrower is going to have their down payment on the four eighty mm -hmm. plus the additional 20000 Yeah, and that can be a rude awakening. Absolutely. Yeah, especially after the fact, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, Denise Webster with Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group. Uh, so uh, uh, you are the person, again, who anyone who's thinking about buying a property or buying an investment property, even refinancing, yeah. right? Um, you just make things so easy because it's just a phone call and... And, uh, and it's free. It's yeah. free. Yeah, yeah, because, again, just to wrap up, as we as we finish up our, our segment here, um, you... You get paid by the lender that the buyer ultimately chooses, right? Yes, yes. So, um, you know, you, you, you have that vested interest to make sure that they're getting the right product. But the other thing, though, too, is, um, and, and you mentioned it, it's not an add-on to a buyer's mortgage. Like this is, it's all, it's all, the buyer's not paying more. For not at all. You. No, yeah. it is really, truly a free service. I do a lot of consultations. I do a lot of pre-approvals. Those may never come to fruition, yeah. uh, but I am, I love that part of it. And I really want to prepare my, my borrowers t to know the whole process. You do it well. Uh, Denise Webster, we're going to take a quick break here and we'll be back with both of our guests, Nima and Denise. 
We're back with the Whole Home Show with me, Tony Joe. Today we're talking about mortgages and your lawyer's role in your real estate transaction. I have with us Nima Rohani from McConnell Beyond O'Connor Peterson, and also our part one of our two partners for our show, Denise Webster from. Dominion Lending Services, Modern Mortgage Group. Actually, guys, I usually ask this at the end of the show, uh, but let's do it right now. Nima, if somebody needs to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Well, they can call my office, 250-385-1383, or they can email me at n-r-o-h-a-n-i at mcbop, m-c-b-o-p dot com, nrohani at mcbop dot com. I'm available 24-7, and uh, I look forward to hearing from anybody who wants to contact me. Some legal advice. Yes. And Denise, how do people get in touch with you? Directly on my cell at 250-889-4743 or my email at denise at denisewebster.com. So we're talking about the, the roles of the lawyer and mortgage broker in somebody's real estate transaction. And, and this is a reminder to listeners that it's so crucially important. If you're thinking of buying real estate, you need to assemble your team. So your team, you know, of course, I'm a real estate agent, so people often ask me to be their start. We are the ones that help people go out there and look for homes or help people sell homes. But we want to assemble a team that provides all of the advice that you need and gives you the comfort knowing that this purchase, which, by the way, for most people is a huge purchase. I mean, it's the biggest thing that the majority of people will ever buy in their lives. It's their biggest investment. You want to make sure you assemble your team of experts that gives you the right direction. Aside from finding your home with your realtor like me, you've got to make sure that you can get your your money in place. And that's Denise, the mortgage broker. We talked a moment ago about pre-approval, getting your ducks in order. And, of course, at the very end, you're going to need your lawyer, like Nima, who will do the uh, closing conveyance, make sure uh, everything gets done. Um, Let's talk about what's happening out there. And I want to just go back to what Nima talked about early on in the conversation about unconditional offers. We can talk about that now because this is the kind of market where we're seeing that. Um, so, Nima, again, this is something that, that you identify on a regular basis, and you're very cautious about them. I, I am. I, and, you know, I don't want the deal to fall through. And, you know, when, when the subject removals are lifted and it's unconditional offer with, with no financing in place, it is something to be concerned of, especially when you know, they do need a mortgage um, and, you know, they're past the subject removal phase. As I said, if they don't get it, they will, the deal will fall through and they may be liable for the deposit and they might lose it. So... Any buyer who is thinking about doing that is going to have to make sure that they're in a strong financial position. So you, uh, what's the phrase you use all the time? Is, is it a strong approval? No, what a... Uh, I, I'd say a strong pre-approval yes. yeah, that I've done the due diligence on it. Yeah. So I, th- I think when I'm in that position, uh, I have to be involved. I, I need to know well ahead if my client's considering an unconditional offer. And that means I need to connect with somebody like you, Tony. Yeah. So I need to know something about that house right away, the property. Um, um, We talked about this with uh, Lori Zorn from Island Savings about what is a red flag to a lender on the property. So the four that jumped to mind for me are uh, asbestos, uh, possible knob and tube electrical, um, 
a crack in the foundation, or how about a buried oil tank? <laughs> those four things are going to make a lender run quite yeah. often. Yeah. Um, so those have to be dealt with. If, if I think there's any one of those four going to show up on that property, I do not want my client going in unconditional, and yeah. I would strongly advise them. I think they're taking a very big risk on on having a lender that doesn't actually like the property they've chosen. Yeah, because, because that's the thing. I think consumers and listeners need to understand, if you're going in unconditional and then you bump into problems, like what you were just talking about, Denise. I mean, what's going to happen, Nima? Like, what? what? It, well, it's just what, like what Denise just said. The lender may not lend them money. Yeah. They're past the subject removal phase. Conditions are lifted. You know, no. You know, subject to whatever financing, no financing. They need the money. Problem with the oil tank, as we touched yeah. on earlier. Yeah. Guess what? The lender's not giving you money. If you can't find another lender in time, you're you're out of luck. Okay, so l- tell us about the the what the ugliest thing that can happen. So if a buyer is committed, has has made an unconditional offer, has paid a deposit, is the deposit the only thing that they're going to forfeit? Well, there could be a potential lawsuit if there's further damages, you know, if the, you know, if it's a small deposit and the seller has gone through a tremendous amount of effort to to clean up the the property and, you know, that's caused them more costs, the the purchaser could be liable for for that. Um, you know, for example, let's just say the, the seller, you know, they had to remove the oil tank. Okay. So they did that, spent all that money, but then, you know, there's asbestos in the house. Yeah. Now the lender's not going to lend on the, because there's no asbestos. The seller went through all of that. They, you know, removed the oil tank. Okay. Who's going to pay for that? Because, you know, the seller's not going to get any money from the sale now. Yeah. Right. So that could be a potential issue as well. Yeah. It's really important, I think, for, for consumers to know that, oh, you know, whatever, it's a $10,000 deposit or whatever. It can be more than that. It can right? definitely be more than that. And, you know, for example, r- removing the oil tank and remediating the property is tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Um, so it's something to be careful of. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I want to bring up a recent uh, file that I had, which was just uh, an unconditional offer on a condo, which is even more um, uh, um, documents that should be reviewed prior to doing that. So in this instance, um, again, good connection with the realtor. Uh, The borrower's uh, family member was also an inspector. So we were able to get a copy of uh, all the strata documents, uh, the the depreciation report. Yeah, so it's the minutes of meetings, bylaws, financial statements. Form B is really important. That's the one that stays how much is in their reserve fund for that condo yeah. this stuff has to be looked at it if you're Absolutely. ever considering an unconditional offer so yeah. getting somebody's eyes on that depreciation report myself the solicitor uh, an inspector uh, these were really key things in being able to offer an unconditional oh you know actually that that brings up something too like how often have are you seeing unconditional condo Offers. Not very often. I do not encourage yeah. that. <laughs> okay, because, you know, for, for me, it was, I did one maybe about 10 years ago, and it was, wow, these never happen. But we're hearing them happen more nowadays, and they are they are risky. By the way, when I say I did one, it was for a seller. They were selling a condo on Eldon Street, and the buyer was another owner in the building. So, you see, they already knew the financials and the, uh, the history. Uh, history of the building and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But nowadays, it's a very different marketplace where people are just jumping in and, you know, they're bold. And gosh forbid there's a mention of any kind of water issue in the in the building. Yeah. If that comes up in the minutes, uh, again, a lender will run away from that. Because how how deeply do lenders actually look into the depreciation report? And is it, because sometimes people wonder, oh, well, it just means that we have it. So does that mean that the lender's going to be okay with it? 
for most part, uh, all lenders will request the strata form B. That's going to show uh, the unit, if there's any um, outstanding legal money. outstanding against that unit, what the contingency fund um, is at, if there's any special assessments in the process. That also usually includes the depreciation report, has to be attached to that. And then quite often they want to look at the last six months of the minutes and the AGM. And if there's mention of anything that is outstanding, of an issue with the building, like I said, uh, you know, gosh forbid there's some water leaking in the garage or whatnot. If it's unresolved, a lender will be very apprehensive to to lend on that building because there is unknowns that could cause yeah. the borrower to be in an, a special assessment position that, that could jeopardize their mortgage and payments. And there are actually buildings that are flagged, are there not? Yes, there are. Yes. Hard for us to know which ones. We do our best to try and find out. Yeah. Um, in other words, we're we talking, will, it's CMHC. Yeah, if it's an insured mortgage, yes. CMHC, Genworth Canada Guarantee, they may have already found something in a previous application that will just say, nope, we're not lending on that u- that building any longer. Yeah. We don't necessarily get to know that. We will just get an automatic decline. Wow. Uh, Nima, um, things like the uh, strata document, documents and everything. That You know, I was, yes, I, I fully agree with Denise here. It, it's, it can be scary when you look at a form, strata form B and there's nothing in the contingency fund and then you go ahead and look at the strata minutes and they say, oh, there's a huge problem with our windows. All the windows on all the units need to be replaced. Guess what? That's $25,000 per unit. Yeah. There's nothing in the contingency fund to cover that. So guess who's on the hook? The owner. Okay, so all the owners have to pay. You know, and, and, and times like this, you also see a lot of owners selling the property because they can't afford it. That's the reason why they're selling. That's the reason exactly. why they're selling. Okay, and and you know sometimes that's ref, you know the, the let's say for example to replace all the windows it's something like twenty five thousand um, dollars. You might see that reflected in the purchase price. Sometimes you might not. So you know if it's not reflected in the purchase price, the buyer really needs to make sure that they're going to be able to cover that. You know for reasons such as Denise said. Yeah. So, you know, buyers really need to be careful. That's why we have people like Nima, uh, the lawyer who is out there uh, looking out for them. Nima, how do people get in touch with you if they need to reach you? They can call me at 250-385-1383 or they can email me at nrohani at com. Happy to help. Great. And Denise, as always, how do people get in touch with you? Because you've got so much knowledge, they got to get in touch with you. Thanks, Tony. Uh Cell phone is 250-889-4743, and my email is denise, D-E-N-I-S-E, at denisewebster.com. And thanks again for listening this week. Just a reminder, if you have any questions about real estate, go online to our website, cfax1070.com, or find our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. We'll be here this time next week. The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070.